Welcome to the Growth Cap Podcast, where we chat with CEOs, investors, and other key industry leaders to uncover insights and strategies for accelerating growth and succeeding in business. I'm your host, RJ Lumba, Managing Partner of Growth Cap. In this episode, we chat with Teresa McIntosh, the CEO of TrendTech, which is the leading enterprise software company for finance professionals. TrendTech has over 3,500 clients across the globe, including the majority of the Fortune 100. The company is backed by Summit Partners and Vista Equity. Teresa shares with us her background and career experience, as well as her insights into TrendTech solutions and future expansion plans. We hope you enjoy the show. Teresa, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with us today. We could kick off with a little bit of background on yourself as, as well as Trintech. Thanks, RJ. It's a pleasure to be a guest today. So my name is Teresa McIntosh. Grew up really in a very middle-class family in mid-Michigan. My dad was actually the county sheriff, so it was a unique experience growing up. I learned a lot of my leadership philosophy really following in his footsteps. He was a very authentic, direct um, guy and and very much balanced in his approach to leadership. And that's really shaped a lot of of how I go about things today. Um, Kind of your classic overachiever, high school valedictorian, then went on to University of Michigan, both grad and undergrad, um, and really aspired to lead a company one day. Uh, You know, my dad always said, those who can, should. And and so that's, that's really with my desire to be more in the private sector, you know, my attempt at service really is is becoming a CEO and leading leading a company. So after school, I went into uh, public accounting, worked for Pricewaterhouse back when it was Pricewaterhouse, uh, and became a CPA. And, and really, that was to understand how businesses worked. Um, I don't think I ever expected to be a CPA my entire career. But it really ended up shaping a lot of what I've ended up, you know, pursuing as my professional goals. So left left Pricewaterhouse, spent the next 16 years uh, at Thomson Reuters in all kinds of functional areas. I would say I very much grew up at Thomson Reuters, uh, ending with P&L responsibilities for multiple lines of business, and then moved from there to Walters Kluwer, leading. Uh, one of their largest business units, um, again, serving the accounting and tax and finance professionals. So it's it's been a tremendous journey. Yeah, well, you, you certainly have um, a remarkable track record. Um, it sounds like beginning from childhood. Um, in, in you, you hit on something, um, you know, in your background that I'd like to explore a little bit more. Um, you 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 mentioned you kind of aspired to to have a leadership position like a C, you know like as a CEO of a of a company. Um, that's not such an easy thing to accomplish, but you've managed to do it and, and do it well. Um, what are there like one or two key things that you know you kept in mind as you kind of climb toward uh, towards that leadership position? Yeah, I think, you know, certainly there was a rarity of women CEOs, especially in technology, that I could look to as role models, you know, back when I was in school and kind of deciding what I wanted to do. But leadership had always come fairly natural to me, and, and I just felt that 
I was as capable as other people. And, and I think sometimes people have a tendency to assume that people in those roles have some magic skill set or that they see the world in a fundamentally different way. And I think in most cases, that's not true. We're, we're very normal people with normal upbringings and, and kind of the similar backgrounds as, as a lot of people have. And, and so I've just never been afraid to fail. I always thought that I was equipped with the fundamentals necessary to be able to succeed in the role. You know, I've always tried to balance things that I am comfortable with and that I know with an area of my life that I could take a risk. And so as I was moving roles or companies, I always had one thing at least that I was very comfortable with and something that was stretching um, my skill set. And so as you kind of leapfrog, you know, from role to role over time, you build a collection of experience that that makes becoming a CEO actually fairly simple. I, I mean, this, <laughs> I hate to say it that way, um, but, you know, probably the most challenging uh, part of being a CEO is frankly making sure that you have the right team around you. Yeah, and I, I noticed um, that you, you know most of your your team is um, you know comprised of of, of male executives, um, and um, you know you mentioned the rarity of of uh, female CEOs, um, and uh, you know I think it's it truly is you know tremendous to um, you know be in the position. Um, uh, that you're in, and and you know, it sounds like it was a fairly smooth process for you. I think for for many, you know, who aspire to that role, um, you know, seemingly it may not be as it may maybe it's not as a, a you know intuitive. Um, but I guess like what what um, you know are there were, were there models of role models, um, you know, male. I guess there there was less female, but were there other role models that you looked to and said like I want to be like that person. There was, there was a ton of role models along the way, and, and I've truly been blessed to work with people that, you know, in the role they were, were also very helpful um, and mentoring to me during, you know, my entire career, really. When I think back to especially the years at Thomson Reuters, you know, I was allowed to experiment in different functional areas, and that's really rare that, you know, you can spend that many years in a company and still get very different sets of experience. Uh, you know, I vividly remember uh, my boss at the time, this gentleman named Jack LaRue, and he was head of marketing and was promoting me sort of into his right-hand role. And the joke was, you know, they handed me these blank business cards and a pencil and said, you know what, your, your title has changed so many times. Why don't you just, you know, use blank cards and write it in if necessary. Um, because really, I was just allowed to apply my curiosity across the business, and it it was just a wonderful experience. Mm -hmm. And now, I guess switching to the uh, to the company, um, uh, could we go into like the different lines of businesses that you're in? Yeah, absolutely. So what Trintech does is we actually were a SaaS cloud based enterprise software company. We are backed by two large technology PE firms. Summit Partners is our majority investor, and Vista Equity is actually our minority investor. And we actually help CFOs streamline the financial accounting close process. We do that with two different lines of solutions. Uh, one in our kind of flagship 
what we're known for is large enterprise. Uh, so that is our cadency product. And then we have more recently gotten into mid-market. For us, that is companies with revenues under a billion dollars with our ADRA solution that we have brought to market about a year ago. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, you seem to have a you know, very strong presence across the market and, and internationally. Um, you know, I, presumably that's attributed to a, a very strong uh, sales force. Um, but, what you know, I guess how do you plan on continuing your expansion, um, you know, over the coming years? Yeah, so we have over 3,500 clients uh, around the globe. Uh, our headquarters is in Dallas, but you're correct. We have offices in London and across uh, the Nordics. We're also in Australia, Japan. Um, so we have a footprint really that mirrors where our customers need us to be. Uh, we have you know, the fortune of having a large number of um, enterprise customers. The majority of the Fortune 100 are actually our customers. So we have great um, support from companies like Albertsons, GSK, Dallas Cowboys, in fact, um, Siemens. So you know, we're able to expand not just with those customers because they have ongoing needs as they uh, take automation across their businesses, um, but we, that also helps us translate that into new customers across the globe. Um, we work very closely with a lot of system integrators as well as big four accounting firms that are doing digital transformation projects. And we also um, are the solution of choice um, of several uh, large BPO providers like Capgemini or Accenture, um, just to name a couple. Mm-hmm. And, and how do you see the next uh, three years, uh, three to five years going? Do you plan to do... Uh, you know, some acquisitions, um, or is it, you know, predominantly uh, organic growth and and internal initiatives that'll kind of drive the company forward? Yeah, I think the next three to five years will be interesting. And and I think most of us in the enterprise um, software space probably feel similarly. COVID has sort of changed the timeframe. It has, I think, very much impressed upon the market, the need for solutions such as ours. You know, there's never been a time, I think, where we all have a vast appreciation for our finance professionals um, and their role in the company, I think over time has definitely evolved to where they are the strategic advisor to the business. Um, But the tools that they've been using historically are fairly limited. You know, that is not an area that has received a tremendous amount of investment typically. And so we've seen that really come to a breaking point at a lot of companies over this COVID uh, era. And so when we look at how we're going to grow, I think a lot of our growth will come from new customers um, as, as people start getting back to business, you know, whether it be yet this summer of 2020 or, you know, going into the fall. I think there's a lot of speculation as to when normal, quote unquote, you know, starts to return. Um, but also expansion into existing customers uh, will continue to be an area of focus for us. The mid-market is uh, still a very wide open landscape that we will continue to invest in and drive our solutions um, across, you know, the broader needs that we're seeing in mid-market. 
um, company. And you know, certainly inorganic growth or acquisitions is something that we always look at. Um, there are not a tremendous number of customers that you or client companies, sorry, that you could do a fold up strategy with, you know, like some PE firms might do. Um, there's not a lot of targets that you could do that with in our space, but certainly as they come along, that's an option. But I think you'll, we will also continue to invest in expanding our international presence. So as much as we have, you know, key offices in London, uh, the Nordics, Germany, you know, there are other countries like France where we don't have a footprint yet, uh, as well as a couple others in continental Europe that I think are, you know, good candidates for that expansion. A lot of that timing will probably depend on how we see the Eurozone recover uh, from the recession that we will undoubtedly um, be in for a while here. Mm -hmm. And and with all kind of the the uh, the opportunity ahead of you, both geographically and in different segments of the market, um, you know, what do you pay most attention to as, as you're you're scaling? Um, is is it kind of finding the right people? Uh, to put in certain roles? Um, is it kind of, you know, paying close attention to customer feedback? You know, what, what, what do you think about day in, day out? What I'm really thinking about now is, you know, if we look flash forward in our minds to 18 months from now, what are we going to wish we had done today? What are those investments that could really set the tone uh, for expanding growth and footprint, you know, in 18 months where we start to see those results. I, I think a lot of us are, you know, in a kind of a, a zone here where certainly 2020 and even the hangover impact to some extent in 2021, just because of recurring revenue and, and how those cycles work with bookings and revenue recognition, you know, it will be lower growth than what we are accustomed to. Uh, we're very fortunate that it will still be growth. Uh, but it'll be lower growth than what we otherwise would have wanted. So as we're, you know, getting out of that period, what are those investments now? And so when I think about that, it's going to be key technologies uh, that, you know, have the, that the needs have been sort of um, magnified during this period, you know, areas where maybe integrations could be tighter or key partners that we can build with uh, to make sure that there's an end-to-end -end solution for the customers, um, as well as getting the right people on board. So, you know, people have, have always been, I would say, probably the, the most important investment as we look to expand. The labor markets are going to be fundamentally different, uh, you know, now than it, than it has been with such a low unemployment rate, rate. And so I think it's a chance to bring in some talent to the organization that we may not have otherwise been able to attract. Mm -hmm. And um, I guess, like given the you know current environment and, and you know how uh, COVID has you know impacted the way people uh, work, um, how's your organization? How has your organization adapted um, to this to the current environment? Yeah, our organization. Um, you know, we we conducted fairly regular. BCP exercises prior to this. Um, and so us going virtual was actually incredibly easy. Um, mm -hmm. It was, you know, conducted basically overnight. I, I think the, the thing that we were probably most sensitive to is our customers were doing the same thing at the same time. 
And for many of them, that wasn't quite as graceful. And so we were very cognizant of, of being sort of available around the clock and making sure that data centers and, and things like that, that they would be accessing in a different way, um, you know, were much, um, that they were supported and um, that we had as much attention to those as, as necessary. Um, but for us, we are still working in a remote way. I would say it's been going very smoothly. Productivity uh, remains very high. I think our morale also remains high. Um, and we will take it one step at a time. You know, there's no reason for us to hurry back to the office. And so I think that's a moderate way to make sure that we're kind of doing our part to keep um, risk levels of a second wave down. Mm-hmm. And, you know, hopefully we'll start to get back to the office here uh, over the course of the next couple months. Yeah, it's 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 really interesting, you know, like multinational uh, companies such as uh, yourself have probably have a look into you know, how different geographies are, um, you know, managing, um, kind of going back, uh, you know, to, you know, I guess the, the, the new normal, but have, have you seen, have you had to kind of adjust based on your uh, locations? Yeah, quite a bit, actually, because I actually have an office in uh, Stockholm. So obviously Sweden's approach to a stay at home or not staying at home, as the case may be, uh, was very different than most of the other European countries. So we have Stockholm and we have Oslo uh, in Norway. London is our biggest. So if you just take those three as sort of a microcosm, you know, London is, is very much still in the throes of um, sort of figuring out how to get back because mass transit is such a key element um, for our employees there. You know, we have over 60% of our employees that rely on mass transit. And there's really no great alternative. Um, many of them don't own cars or, you know, that's just not even feasible, um, as I'm sure you know if you've been to London. Whereas mm-hmm. Norway and uh, Sweden actually feel fairly normal. Um, Sweden stayed kind of that way. Uh, that office, we really didn't have a lot of people that needed to work from home, although uh, we certainly opened it up to them. Um, Norway did but then came back fairly quickly. And so they're pretty much back to normal already. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, maybe one last question as we, we close out, as I think we're running up on time here. Um, but, um, you know, we're, we're excited about kind of like the, the recent, you know, movements that have been happening over the, you know, last few years and in, in, in terms of women leadership and more women, um, you know, in, in top positions, um, and we're, you know, in the next couple of weeks, we're about to release uh, our top women in, in growth equity and, and private equity. Uh, but maybe if you could share kind of your thoughts on, you know, any advice you could give. And I have two daughters uh, myself, so I, I focus on this uh, quite a bit personally. But, you know, any advice you could give to you know, women who are, you know, career focused and would like to achieve you know, the kinds of things that you've achieved? Yeah, I, I'd like to say two things there. One is, I think I now understand my responsibility and have spent a lot of time on really looking at STEM programs that encourage girls, and I'll say girls because I do mean at that age, you know, studies show that by age eight, um, a child of either gender, they have 
sort of formed their ideas of what they believe their careers can be. And, and, you know, that saying, if you can't see it, you can't be it. And so we need, we need to make sure that people are exposed, that girls are exposed to their options uh, very front and center, very early on. Um, I would have guessed it was much later, um, but in fact, it's by age eight, and, you know, a lot of those ideals are formed. So I've been spending a lot of time with um, STEM programs. The Girl Scouts actually have a fantastic STEM center in Dallas um, that we volunteer at and, and give time to because it impacts so many different um, girls in Northwest Texas, and, and my engineers love to give back to that as well. Um, the second is, you know, making sure that we have an organization that nurtures and supports um, all of our employees, but women as well, in kind of some of the demands that that have, um, you know, changed people's careers o- over time. And a lot of that is flexibility and, and being able to balance, you know, professional and personal lives. COVID, frankly, is, is going to change the game on that. It actually could be a fantastic boost for uh, women that need that flexibility because I think most organizations have found that this work from home uh, thing, if you're in the office environment, it, it, it can work. It, it can be productive over, over time. And so I think that that will really encourage us to be a lot more flexible. And then my advice specifically is to take risks, you know, to think of areas that you're comfortable and areas that you're not comfortable and always make sure that you have both. Uh, because if you just live in an area of comfort your whole time, um, you just won't gain the necessary skills to keep moving forward. Mm-hmm. That's fantastic. And, and, and I guess in terms of risk, that's the, um, I guess, within your uh, profession um, to maybe seek um, more opportunity or is it also kind of venturing out and, and doing something entrepreneurial? It, should, it can be any of those things, but there should be an element to your job that you are downright uncomfortable with, that you don't mm-hmm. know if you that you don't know if you know how to do it, right? That forces you to go learn and forces you to figure it out and forces um, that personal growth. And so, mm-hmm. you know, for me, it was leaving large the safety of large companies and going into you know a PE backed company, but what I was comfortable with there was the space, right? I know financing account, you know, accounting and uh, tax professionals, but I had no idea how to work for a company backed by PE. And so Mm -hmm. that's been a tremendous learning and and very much a a difference, but there's always something in my job that is new and that I'm, you know, a student of. And I I think that that's really a good rule to apply um, as you're progressing through your career. Well, great. Uh, Teresa, thank you so much for your time. You've been uh, very generous uh, spending it with us. Um, So thank you. And I I know this is going to be very insightful uh, for our audience. Great. Thanks so much, RJ.